China, coupons, and cannabis, hot topics for the end of the year. Welcome to another episode of the Security Management Highlights podcast from ASIS International. Every month, we focus on the trends and topics the world needs to know about your world of keeping information and people safe. I'm your host, Brendan Howard, and we're wrapping 2023 with an episode that you will want to share with non-security folks. All this stuff is in the trenches for the average citizen or big in the news today. We talked to national security policy researcher Peter Raymond about China's work that may or may not include social media platform TikTok to sway the world to its interests with tech Then, Executive Director of the Coupon Information Corporation, Bud Miller, tells us about another angle on retail theft, coupon fraud, in paper, on smartphones, and online. And finally, security consultant Tim Sutton shares info about the current state of the U.S. cannabis industry and the crimes that a new standard coming in early 2024 that he's working on could help stop. But... First, Peter Raymond, this senior associate with the Center for Strategic and International Studies, shares big-picture thoughts in a recent security management article about China's global tech work to change the world's opinions about the global superpower. So, what's in the new State Department report you mention in the article, Peter? The State Department report focuses very largely on the many ways in which China is seeking to exert its influence through both Western um, media platforms and uh, media platforms that exist in other countries around the world, as well as through China's own promotional efforts through its own media platforms. The the thing that I think is most unsettling about the uh, report that uh, came out from the State Department is just the extent to which China is working to change the narrative, including efforts that are coercive in nature, uh, including efforts that, in, uh, that involve acquisition of media outlets around the world, including its uh, use of bots and flooding on Western social media platforms to um, exert influence around topics uh, of interest to it. So it's a very comprehensive, far-reaching effort that includes many, many aspects that I think people were not very well aware of until that report came out. My daughter and I both use TikTok, and you talk about the uh, usage numbers of TikTok are wildly high, not just in America, but in other countries, even higher. Uh, My daughter and her friends buy stuff on Sheen, which is a a Chinese-owned company, where they sell really ultra-low-priced clothing that I think is just direct-to-consumer out of Asia. So I think the number one thing in America, the politicians complain about with the technology from the PRC is that, oh, we're worried they're grabbing data from us. Is that the biggest thing China is doing? Um, I would say no, that is not the biggest thing. Um, But it is an important aspect of the uh, Chinese technologies. Yes, these technologies have been demonstrated to be very effective surveillance tools. Uh, particularly TikTok, but not exclusively TikTok. If you if you have WeChat, which is a Chinese um, 
social media app, um, uh, if you're using some of the other Chinese uh, social media or, or similar apps, they are able to collect an enormous amount of information on you, not just your location, but uh, your exchanges with other people, etc. And that information, if it's exported back to China, can be used for a wide number of purposes in China with respect to potentially blackmail um, or other uh, efforts. Uh, for example, um, a number of the reporters who were reporting on TikTok's influence capabilities and surveillance capabilities were actually surveilled by TikTok and their contacts were, uh, you know, questioned by uh, by TikTok and others. So there is a, a significant surveillance risk associated with these technologies. But the other risk and the one that has not been really I think sufficiently looked at is the influence capabilities of these platforms. Now it's just starting to emerge. Even um, uh, FBI Director uh, Ray has called out the risks associated with um, uh, the influence efforts on these platforms. But um, uh, if you just read the press, so for example, just a few days ago, there was an article that came out that said, why is Biden uh, appearing to be so poorly uh, received in polls around the United States. And um, one of the uh, factors that they that this article in the New York Times pointed out, they felt that it was a TikTok-influenced um, uh, event in that there's a lot of, uh, what they call it, the silent depression or something like that, um, uh, basically where people, you know, are expressing their discomfort with current economic conditions. And those um, those expressions can go viral or they can be promoted by TikTok to go viral around the network. And that has uh, an interesting impact on shaping opinions and outlooks in, um, in a country. And this is just one example. There are numerous examples of how social media influences not just uh, people's attitudes, but their beliefs and ultimately the actions they're willing to take in support of those beliefs. And so if we look at the power of these platforms from an influence um, standpoint, and we look at the evidence that we have that um, TikTok, WeChat, even Alibaba, and others have been using their platform to promote Chinese interests, we see that there's a real risk that as these platforms become more and uh, more preeminent around the world, as TikTok is becoming, they could have a huge impact on how people uh, think, what they believe, and ultimately what they act on, whether it's elections or reactions to global events. So we're, we're both Americans. We live in a country that has lived through a multi-decade period post-Cold War where the global order was kind of unipolar. The pole was the United States and the world rotated around the United States and its military and political and entertainment and economic influence. And as China has risen in power, I can feel the anxiety here in this country about a, a, maybe a new world order that is bipolar or tripolar as somebody else steps up. Americans, I understand why we're nervous about Chinese influence. How does this play out? How does this technology and things, how does that play out in other countries that you've seen, either that's in the State Department report itself or what you've seen? Yeah, excellent question. Um, the, um, uh, the, the reality is, of course, that China has been growing remarkably over the past 30 plus years, and they have done 
an incredible job of lifting um, the people of that country out of poverty and in using market mechanisms to drive amazing growth both domestically and now increasingly globally. And, and the U.S. was a, a willing partner in this um, for many years, uh, believing that uh, by bringing China into the fold, um, into this global order that the United States uh, had uh, helped to establish with European powers, that China would become, as we uh, designated, a responsible member of the global order. Um, but of course, China is a rising uh, power and it has its own interests that are not always aligned with um, the United States. And I think the Chinese would say it's natural for them to want to express their own interests and to have exert their own influence uh, around the world. The, the issue is that this now conflicts with various standards, including um, the promotion of human rights, democracy, and other values that the United States has sought to champion around the world, not to mention uh, economic security, not just for um, the United States, but for others, and then ultimately uh, military uh, security. And um, and we can see aggressive behavior on the part of China, and uh, particularly in the South China Sea, but also in its border regions, uh, with respect to um, uh, seeking to you know secure. Uh, territories which other countries contest as their own. So China is rising and its technological and economic um, capabilities are a mechanism not just to um, uh, to grow internally, but for it to exert influence and reshape the global order in its, um, its direction and in its interests. And so as it is exporting its technology. And as we mentioned earlier, the technologies that China is exporting are very competitive and and they're very much desired by emerging economies, particularly around the world, who are seeking to build the digital infrastructure that they need to be able to compete effectively and participate in this new digital world that, that you and I are so accustomed to. And so China uh, can come in, they can provide the wireless, the, the fiber optic backbones, the cellular services, the, the wireless networks, the routers, uh, the data centers, and, and ultimately the software that rides on top of that technology stack, that internet technology stack that exists in many of these countries around the world. The challenge with that is it's, it's not just the fact that um, China will have surveillance uh capabilities and possibilities over that but but that it is also potentially locking these countries into a chinese digital ecosystem or technology ecosystem that as we decouple further and further the west decouples from china these countries may become more beholden to China for their technology upgrades. We just need to look at the costs of replacing the Huawei technology that was built in the United States. It's billions of dollars to replace that telco technology that that we purchased from Huawei prior to the ban on using Huawei equipment. So you can imagine for emerging economies, that's very challenging to do. So when you combine that technology um, environment with a number of other attributes, and as I mentioned previously, with um, the the platform preeminence, 
in combination, if you can control or shape the core technology infrastructure in the country, and then you are providing the core platforms that those countries are operating on for e-commerce, social media, news, um, etc., you have an enormous amount of control and influence in that country. And that can be used to the detriment of the United States and to the advantage of China. It's not necessarily time to go running scared through your tech and cut anything with a Made in China label. It is time to stay informed and ask how these global conflicts might have small but important effects on your work. Now, for a break from the big stuff to the very small stuff, coupons. Some people still clip them, but coupon fraudsters have gotten more sophisticated, says Bud Miller, who's the executive director of Coupon Information Corporation, CIC. We recorded this a little before Thanksgiving, and Bud starts with a nod to Coupon Thieves' favorite time of year. I will tell you this. First of all, Merry Glitchmas. We are approaching that season where... Uh, the bad guys do their best to exploit vulnerabilities in the system. Okay. Uh, they take advantage of Black Friday, uh, temporary workers, things like that. So the bad guys are on the move and the retailers and the rest of the industry are working to combat them. So that's happening right now. Can I ask about that right now? I'm curious, is there a number one way in which they try to take advantage of either printed coupons or digital coupons? And it happens probably because Black Friday is a glut of customers, glut of orders all coming in at once. So it's easy to slide under the radar. Um, The three largest methods to commit fraud that directly contribute to retail organized theft are the use of counterfeit coupons, uh, something called coupon decoding. We call it theft by deception, which is when an individual intentionally uses a coupon on a product other than it's authorized for to get a, a higher discount than they normally would. And then something called return fraud, where they will make a purchase, possibly using real coupons, immediately return the product, and then retain the savings that the coupon values out there. Um, fortunately, more and more retailers are adjusting their policies. So if somebody is engaged in return fraud, they do not necessarily get that value refunded to them. Okay. Can I, can I ask about that? If retailers are trying to respond to these things, oftentimes, if we think about with retail theft, a major way that retailers push back on shoplifting is they start keeping things behind the counter or they start blocking it off and a customer service representative has to walk over and open it. And it's inconvenient for the customer. Do the things created to hold off coupon fraud also inconvenience the customer? Uh, not really. Okay. They're generally very elegant. Uh, and CIC advocates a layered defense on this that we've designed with retailers on how to reduce everybody's exposures to coupon fraud. And generally, if you're an average consumer, you won't even notice it. It will not be an inconvenience. Uh, so it has to do with point of sale detection. Uh, it has to do uh, with what's called a positive file, uh, where you verify that there actually is a coupon out for XYZ product has something to do with the CIC early warning file, which is a list of more than 90,000 counterfeit coupons that goes right into the POS systems to prevent them from being accepted. And then for the smaller retailers, 
CIC has a free app. It's called the CIC Suspect Coupon Checker app, where they can use their cell phone, have the power of CIC literally in that cell phone, and determine within a second or two if we are aware of a particular counterfeit. And if it's if we're not aware of the suspect coupon being a counterfeit, they can report it to us. We'll verify its status and get back to the retailer. And can I ask, so Merry Glitchmas to you too. Uh, Black Friday <laughs> comes every year. Is there anything strange or weird or new that's happening with coupon fraud that wasn't happening a year ago or two years ago? Not particularly. It's the same attempts and it's the same people that are involved in this. You know, there are dedicated people, a criminal element, who will not be discouraged, um, but they will also be detected. And, you know, the number one thing is we want the behavior to stop. Um, but obviously, CIC worked with all levels of law enforcement uh, for the prosecution of people engaged in these illegal activities, as we have been since we began operations in 1986. Is it really pretty clear the difference between fraud and legitimate exploitation? So, for instance, there's a whole cottage industry, especially online now, that used to be kind of people would send out mailers about information about coupons. Now online, the people who are absolutely obsessed with coupons can go into stores and get things for free or almost free. And as you said, it seems too good to be true, but those are legitimate exploits. We have no issue with consumers getting the maximum value from all sorts of promotions as long as it's legitimate. However, I would caution any viewers or listeners to be careful of what they read on social media because that is a lot of how the criminal elements promote their fraud. Uh, We have numerous people on social media every day, and that includes the secret groups. We're in there. Uh, So just be very careful about that. There is a big distinction between the legitimate stuff and the illegitimate stuff. The bad guys call themselves the dark side. Okay. Uh, And we spend most of our time on the dark side. We do not engage in anything with the legitimate side unless they have some questions on how to avoid the dark side. Got it. Once you're in social media – And it becomes very, very evident. There are signs there that something's not quite right. And consumers out there can protect themselves very easily. The number one step that consumers can do to protect themselves from the bad guys is never pay money for a coupon. As soon as something is exchanged, you're probably buying something that is counterfeit or stolen. Right now, if you're looking at social media, are these people either giving people printable things or sending paper stuff, or are they giving them things on their phone? Are they offering them apps or things on the apps? We're seeing paper coupons being sold and sent through the mails. Okay. We are seeing counterfeits of coupon images electronically transmitted. Um, We are also seeing something called screenshots, which are very interesting because they are static images that look like a digital offer or an app, but it's just an image. Okay. And so they'll sell that image. The consumer is supposed supposed to take the phone, you know, show the phone screen, try to get that scanned in there. 
and, uh, you know, get some type of usually very high uh, discount. Uh, so, yes, we're on to that. We are seeing that uh, very frequently, at least weekly, we get, you know, different screenshots. So don't pay for coupons. And if you're a retailer or a security person working with coupons, there's help out there. So last but not least, pot, THC, cannabis, it is legal to buy and use products with these in more and more states. But the relatively new industry selling it to consumers has not established good security standards yet, according to Tim Sutton, CPP, PSP, PCI, senior consultant with the security-focused Guidepost Solution. So have you ever wondered what security people have to think about when securing a cannabis retail location? Let's get in the weed, uh, weeds. Sorry, couldn't resist. Let me ask, in so in the industry right now, you mentioned there's a number of states um, that have uh, medical marijuana that's legal and a much smaller number that have personal use, recreational use of marijuana. Kind of looking at the industry as a whole, does it seem like security is top of mind for these new businesses or new organizations that are trying to offer this as a bolt-on, or is this something that they're still trying to wrap their head around? No, security is not top of top of mind. Security is a compliance measure. Okay. It's unfortunate. Um, that is another reason for the security standard for me was the push to have a standard because what I've encountered in different states are different types of security systems, including operations. It's, it's the whole thing. The plans are different in each state depending upon what is required in the state. For instance, there are all kinds of, of incidents going on on the West Coast, most notably in uh, Seattle area with you know, some people call them smashing grabs. But when it's a car crashing through a building entrance, I'm not I don't call that a, cra- a, a, a you know, a smash and grab, but it goes along the same tech, you know, the same type of uh, incident. But the point is, the videos I've seen are a car crashing through, usually a stolen car. Crashing through the front, breaking the, the bricks and whatnot. And this is usually after hours. Thank God. Uh, it's unless it's an accident, but they come through, they come running out. And what do they do? They grab all the product that's hanging on J hooks on shelves left on the walls. Why? Why is this stuff not locked up in a vault? And you know what? I'll tell you why. Can you guess? Cause it's not required to be locked up in a vault. So it's not, it's not a box to check on their plan and the state didn't require them to lock it up. The state allows it. So there it is. It's going to be there. It should be all products should be locked up and secured during non-operational hours, period. The security standard that's forthcoming states that Denver, Colorado recently, they wanted to up their security standards. Great. And that's what they should do. Trying to help the, uh, the industry be a little more secure and trying to help prevent thefts from their secure storage room. Well, what did they require? They require it's either a half inch or three quarter inch. Don't remember which, probably three quarter plywood to line the inside of that secure storage room. You must put that up. And they were up in arms. Dispensary owners up in arms. Um, the, the cost of that is just unbelievable. That's going to put us out of bit. That's not going to put you out of business. That's, that's not even a day's profit. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, come on. Uh, it, it, it can't be. And, and it's the, 
that's still not the best thing to do for a secured storage room, uh, you know, but it, it, it helps. What help with doors, you know, and, and what do they have as a door? You can put all your, you could put uh, solid steel walls, but if you've got a bathroom quality door, how are you, how are you preventing anything? When these become legal, is the, is the big problem just that a lot of the easiest thing is to go into a pre-existing structure. So we're not building a freestanding building out of the gate for our dispensary. We're just going to drop it into a pre-existing strip mall or office building or whatever. Yep. Uh, and that is it. A lot of pre, uh, it's, it's retrofitting. Lots of glass because it was pretty. It was an office building or it was a strip mall. We want to show everybody everything in the front. Lots of the glass that was already there. Yes. And so how that is dealt with usually would be, you know, build a, build a wall interior Right. Turn that into like your entryway um, and, and it be a kind of a sub secure area. Uh, it's not uh, and, and that's doable, uh, you know, but you got to still you got to protect the glass um, and, and there's ways to do that. Um, aesthetics are important, should be uh, or usually are within this industry. It's usually an industry that really does pay attention to the aesthetics and the uh, the customer appeal. Let me ask about the standard. Um, is there an absolute ETA when it's going to come? And I'm wondering if the hope with this new standard that you've worked on is that we're going to try to sell state and federal authorities on this or local municipalities, wherever it is, or we're trying to take it to the organizations and the security professionals themselves or both. I like the way you think. Um, and and <laughs> I, I, I've seen through experience, I've seen that th this industry is a very, very cheap industry and isn't going to do anything that they're not required to do. Um, right now, we're looking at a potential published date. Uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed of uh, January 23. Tim is hoping big cannabis retailer associations and the big multi-state operators who've already felt the sting of theft somewhere down the line already will adopt first. And that is it for the latest episode of Security Management Highlights. Thanks to our guests, Peter Raymond, Bud Miller, CPP, and Tim Sutton, CPP, PSP, PCI. If you're interested in reading more about these topics, check out the links in the show notes. And if you got excited about something here, share this with your friends inside and outside of security management. The world needs to know how vital and awesome this field is. And leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We would appreciate it. You can find us at sm.asisonline.org. And hey, be safe out there.